0: welcome to the author blur podcast here we're here to connect readers and authors so that the readers you can find that book or that author you're gonna love so i appreciate you being here get ready enjoy the show enjoy knowing the authors and remember subscribe tell people about the show and Go buy the author's books, because if you like listening to them and you think they're interesting, they're going to love hearing from you. So I'm here with Roy M. Griffiths, who's written 13 novels. Right now, at the time of this interview, there's nine in print. But Roy, you said that you have the other ones coming back out. So I'm looking forward to hearing about your books, looking forward to learning about them, because the one thing that actually called my attention was the line of your Cthulhu is um, Lovecraft with laughs. So to me, that that sounds entertaining and you know a good horror movie or a good scare with some laughter is always interesting. So instead of me just going in and describing everything about you and your books and this and that because you sound very interesting, everything you've done, whatso have you. Can you tell, I mean, honestly, you're on the profile that I have for you. It says that you're a National Guard screenwriter. You've written 13 novels, and like I said, nine are in print now. You have a slew of other things going on. What was one of the taglines I saw on that? You don't just write adventures, you live them?
1: Uh, yeah, I did a little bit.
0: So help me understand a bit about yourself so that the readers and I can learn about you, and then we can talk a bit about your books as well, if you don't mind.
1: Sure. Wow. Well, you know, it's, uh, being a novelist or, or I think any, any kind of uh, writer, you gets lonely. So given the opportunity to, to talk something like this, I might not shut up.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, I discovered that when I,
1: when I started writing novels. Uh, my, my six-book historical fiction series, in my mind, since this was the first novel I'd actually done, uh, was going to be one book. Well, it turned out to be like six books and half a million words, <laughs> and six years <laughs> of my life. Yeah. So, <clears throat> like I said, you know, uh, I may, I may rattle on. Wow. Uh, let's see. Well, wow, you've, you've touched on the high points already. I was actually in the Coast Guard. I Coast was, Guard. Uh, I'm sorry. No, right, Uh They're easily confused since nobody <laughs> really pays attention to them. Uh, I was uh, the 62nd Aviation Rescue Swimmer in the Coast Guard. Um, uh, that was no doubt influenced a lot by all the, the pulp stuff I read when I was a kid. Uh, I loved reading as a kid and <clears throat> during a particularly tough time when I was about 10, excuse <clears> me, <throat> um, I ran across Edgar Rice Burroughs, you know, writer of Tarzan mm-hmm. and, uh, he, you know, he his book, uh, his series, the, the Mars series, the first book, Princess of Mars, which, uh, I think he wrote it in 1913, and uh, it was like this this immediate success because it was so such a gripping story, and it sure worked for me when I was 10 because, like I said, it was a tough time at home, and I picked this book up for, I swear, a quarter, and I went back, and I sat down, and I read it, and I went to Mars, man, for like <laughs> 10 hours, you know, me and John Carter uh, kicking Thark butt um, <laughs> on Mars, and I came back, and, and this was like my first religious experience because I still remember this day, you know, putting the book down and, and just being amazed by the, the, the magicalness of it, the way it completely transported me out of where I was, which I didn't want to be in, uh, to this whole new land. And I remember clearly saying, I'm going to be a writer and never look back,
0: man. So yep. you knew at 10 years old you were going to be a writer.
1: Yep. Like I said, so, religious experience changed my life. And, you know, we blame it all on Edgar Rice Burroughs after that.
0: I see. See, I had a different experience at 10 years old. I thought I was going to wear a three-piece suit. For some oh, well. reason, I saw, saw a TV show, and I thought that the guy looked very dapper. And I'm like, I'm like well, he looks important. So <laughs> that was always my thought. And obviously... I don't think I own a couple suits and I barely ever touched them. So we all don't go where we thought we were at 10 years old. So I'm kind of surprised you did. So did you actually start writing when you were 10 or what did you actually do? Well, it turns
1: out I started writing before that and I just hadn't really remembered it. Uh, (laughs) Cleaning out my my grandmother's house after she died. uh, There was, I found a story I'd written when I was seven for school. It was something about, you know, being one of the coyotes in the mountains and <laughs> what that was like. It, it's, it really looked like he was influenced by Jack London, but I hadn't read him yet. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I'd always sort of had that that tendency. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I'm sh- I believe I wrote Bad Burroughs fan fiction uh, in sixth grade, which, uh, through the grace of God, has been lost, you know, to the midst <laughs> of time. Uh, And, yeah, and then... Um, I knew from what little I had learned that I had to like learn to type, because you can't send in stories that are handwritten. So Not seventh important. grade, yeah, Ooh. seventh grade, I uh, I learned to type as fast as I could, and I bought an old you know old typewriter for probably like ten bucks, and I just started writing stories, man. And whatever else I've done, man, even uh, you know jumping helicopters, I was on some boats in the Coast Guard. I'd be up in the middle of the night after. Um, Midwatch walking around the, the ship making sure nothing was on fire and no one was dead and we weren't sinking. But I'd be sitting out there in the galley with a little portable typewriter on my on my lap working on plays. Because uh um yeah, I went from short stories and meanwhile I'm still reading, right? I'm reading all this stuff. I'm reading you know Burroughs and Heinlein and you know Niven. And uh then I got into fantasy, uh probably the easier fantasy, but I discovered I was much more of a story guy okay uh, right story and characters i wanted to know what happened so things like asimov i do not i've never read a complete asimov novel in my life because they kind of bored me uh, yeah. i don't know they they, they they seem too excited about trying to get the science right i didn't care i just didn't care <laughs> so uh but i would still read you know like the moat in god's eye which is a is a great first contact But I just, and then, you know, it brings down to other stuff. Like, I'd say right now my favorite novel uh, is Watership Down by Richard Adams. Have you read that?
0: You know, I've seen the um, Netflix adaptation of it.
1: Yeah.
0: And I have the book on my list of books. See, here's my problem, and I've said this numerous times throughout my shows. I have so many books at this point that... My wife has banned me from buying books. Well, let me phrase that. Ban me buying books for myself. I can buy them for my kids. So the only yeah. time I get new books for me to read is when, like, an author sends me something because I'm not buying it. So, mm-hmm. like, ebooks, like I do yeah. reviews now on different books. So I'll get those books. I'll review them, the books that people send me i get those so my wife's like well i can't say nothing if you send them to me so (laughs) yeah my cats are off to the side i can i kind of taught them to stay away (laughs) after a few of these (laughs) trust me they they have a habit of moving the camera for me oh bless Uh, them (laughs) (laughs) yes you gotta love cats i think it seems like almost every writer or the majority of them either has a cat or a dog but the majority of them i always hear cats
1: yeah. Uh, you 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 know, the I love animals, uh, but uh, and I you know, I'm I, I never really was a dog guy, but they're growing on me. But cats you can't make a cat like you, man. No. Dogs are a little codependent typically. You know
0: well, here's what I find funny is that I've actually been told because I was in a discussion with somebody about because you always have the dog people and the cat people have a back and forth which one's better. Uh And somebody made this point and they were trying to make it in the dog's favor, but it didn't sound like it to me. They said, you know, cat people are people that like to have a creature living in their house that doesn't always like them, but you have to kind to kind of make the connection with them. So they only come to you when they want your love. A dog is for the people that need somebody always there, always wanting love always wanting that affection i'm like well that makes sense my cat is because at the time i had this cat that was just mean to everybody literally people were scared of her but (laughs) i loved her to death when my wife and i first got married my wife was scared of her for years until she got too old to fight
1: Mm.
0: so i mean but i thought about that and yeah it seems like people that like dogs tend to be the ones that always want that constant attention yeah cat people are the people who can say okay you go do your thing if you want some attention come to me or i'll pet you as i scratch walk by so yeah i think that fits pretty closely to what i what i've seen
1: okay yeah um yeah it's it's just weird i've always liked cats and uh,
0: Eh.
1: but but animals are good
0: yeah so let's get back to your books because Call me funny. I don't think a lot of people want to hear us talk about our cats and our theories. So <laughs> But what is, but, but who couldn't love this face? You know? Oh I agree. It's a cute yeah. kitty. Yeah, she's great. Okay, not, back to my um, that. Um,
1: all right. So uh let's see. Short stories and I got into plays because probably when I was about fifteen, I had this uh, uh you know, I, I just sort of had this creative evolution and I noticed I mean I know I love movies. Um and it just struck me one day that, that like, a movie at the time, and I think it's still true, a movie is the closest thing to a shared dream we could come to, right? Dark room, 500 strangers, and especially if it's a good film, you can, like, have all these shared emotions, right? You can laugh together, cry together, and all that sort of stuff. And uh, so I, I drifted into writing plays because at the time it was easier to read plays and see how they they worked and also i could get my plays done once in a while
0: right
1: and uh i actually had a goal of being a screenwriter um and meanwhile i'm doing all that other stuff right i'm I'm, you know i'm in the coast guard failing a couple of marriages uh and all that sort of stuff uh moving around a lot but i'm still writing man and so wherever i was whatever i did i was writing then i then um i um after after uh Three or four years of being Errol Flynn in the Coast Guard, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> um, uh, I went, to, you know, I went to college and uh, I got a, uh, a degree in screenwriting and video production, B, uh, a BFA, which, uh, as anyone knows, a BFA is typically amounts to BFD in the real world. Um, but I actually worked for a year in Hollywood. I was uh, I was part of I was a member of the Screenwriters Guild and. I, I became such a typical Hollywood story. And I, I, I have you know a whole lot of stories about how everything you've heard about Hollywood is more or less true. Uh but in my case I sold a TV movie to Fox, uh and then they they fired that vice president and threw out all of his projects, including mine.
0: Uh. So
1: uh by then, I don't know, I was in my uh, my late <clears> thirties and I had to, like, say, take stock of my life and stuff. Uh, I was a single dad at the time. And just to give you some context, uh, I had this midlife crisis when I was about 25. I'm preco- precocious that way, right? I was, was kind of early on that. Right. Uh, I was divorced. Not, I couldn't really sell any any uh, any of my short stories. Although I had editors. This was back in the days when you actually sent short stories through the mail to editors. And I right. had some, some encouraging rejection slips which I saved because they gave me just enough to go okay I'm not completely wasting my time but at 25 you know I said man I got I gotta figure out what's going on here and um you know and, and I had to like it was sort of my uh sort of my vision quest you know I had uh, I hadn't had a rite of passage exactly so I, I went and created one for myself in the Coast Guard um and so that that was sort of this process of changing how I looked at myself because I was a drama geek in high school and I didn't learn to throw a softball. till I was 22 and the rescue swimmer program was, was so new. It didn't have its own, um, uh, school in the coast guard. It was going to be taught by the Navy and it was supposed to be the second toughest school in the Navy. And my right of passage brain, which I didn't realize at the time said, there's your challenge, dude. And <clears throat> I realized I'd rather, uh, I'd rather die knowing I tried, you know, tried and failed. Not, not the optimal outcome. Right. But I'd rather die knowing that than die wishing I'd even tried.
0: Right. So,
1: you know, I, I, I survived rescue summer school and, and I actually got to be at an operational school, uh, Coast Guard station, which was kind of rare because it was so new. There weren't that many, um, air stations that actually had live rescue smarts, but I got to do it. So like I said, Aeroflin, Tarzan, got to do all that stuff. <laughs> well, and it, it, so at about 38, I had to look at the, you know, the screenwriting dream and say, you know, I gave it a good shot. I didn't say, well, I wanted to, or I wished I had. Well, I, I actually had, and people would, you know, liked my stuff. But I had to say, you know, it's, this one's not quite working out. I, I could stay here and beat my brains out and become bitter. Um, but on the other hand, I've got like a, a five-year-old kid who needs eh. needs his dad, needs health insurance, you know, toys for Christmas.
0: Eh, they and do so, like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it <laughs> seemed like the uh, uh, decent thing to do. So um, I said, well, I'm going to set that aside. And I was also tired of the whole Hollywood grind, I'm going to be honest. Uh, um, there's more stories about that. but so um but i can't just give up being you know writing a creativity so i ended up just kind of writing for myself and then i I wrote a short story that a small magazine read and said hey um you told us this part of a book like well yeah i just you know first chapter and they said let's see the rest of it and then they wanted to publish it and and uh so that was nice uh Zero money, zero fame involved, but still, you know, they they put it out there and that was kind of nice um affirmation. And the again the thing, uh just that element of saying I'm just gonna write this for myself now. Um because in Hollywood there are so many gatekeepers and there's so many uh taste makers and trend chasers. So you'll do you know, you'll 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 sweat blood for six months on a screenplay and then um I will tell this one short story had uh, a really well received and it's actually my award winning screenplay that takes place in Korea during the Korean War, North Korea. And so I was in a, a, a meeting, which you do a lot of meetings and talking to people. And this one one, uh, you know, production executive told me, look, uh, I got to get back to you because I need to go find out if it's OK to make the North Koreans a bad guy. You know, and it's like my eyes started twitching because, dude, did you even read the script? This is set in the Korean War. The <laughs> North Koreans are the bad. Anyway, so, so I just, you know, stepping away from all that just freed me, and then I just kind of started writing novels because I had a, so I had a couple of ideas. I have ideas all the time, um, and um, two ideas lined up one day. An idea I had when I was. 23. The idea when I had was about 37 and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, here's the beginning. Well, wow, this could be the end. And, you know, I saw the path. So I sat down and I started writing the beginning, but, um, um, I discovered I didn't write out a long outline. If, if you've seen screenplay, the screenplay yeah. format and play playforms. Well, for anybody who hasn't seen them, they're, they're almost like an architectural blueprint of what could be a film or it could be a play, but they're right. very structured. Um, so I, I would imagine it would be pretty hard to sit down, hey, I'm going to write a, a free-flowing screenplay in, in three days. I mean, you know how it is. You, you get inspired on a short story. You can knock out a 40-page short story in a day. It's going to be a long day, but you can do it. Right. Um, but, you know, you are talking about a three or 400-page novel. Uh, some people get really detailed, but, but um, I would do that for screenplays, just to, to sort of free myself to the process. So I'd write a 20-page, single-spaced short story, essentially. And then I'd just start plugging it into the screenplay. And why? I, I didn't do that with my novels. I found that um, over time that I would just sit down and start writing, and the cool thing was, well, was as long as I knew what the end was, I could fight my way there, you know? I just can't right. start something without an end in mind. And originally, I thought that first book was going to be a single book, um, but so it. This didn't. is
0: your historical fiction book, correct?
1: Yeah, it's called *By the Hands of Men*. It starts in World War One. Uh, the uh, the the beginning image was something a woman told me, on a play we were working in, and this working on this was, gee whiz, back in the, uh, <clears throat> oh geez, early '80s, I guess, one of my plays, uh, that her grandfather she was English. Her grandfather had told her the worst thing about being in the trenches in world war one, you could imagine it's probably a lot of bad things, but to him, the worst thing was being stuck in the trenches and listening to the wounded horses scream and not being able to do anything. That was my, my, you know, sort of original image for the, for the beginning of the story. And as long as I've got that and I know where I think it should end up, I just start writing and I find my way there. Um, I'm called a pantser. you know, right? right. My pants. Uh, it's an old term, but uh, I'm
0: one of them too, so I know well enough.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I can't do it any other way, but, uh, but yeah. So there was a point to all this, anyway. So that's how I started writing my <laughs> first novel. That was, you know, sort of self-contained. The other one was kind of a Rashomon series of following different characters. Each, each sort of each chapter was a different character. This was pretty much. You know, following my two main characters. And, uh, you know, it just, it became kind of really weird to me because, again, I never I'd never thought of myself as a novelist. Um, was at, at a certain point, uh, after having the discipline, you know, of, I, I try to get up early every morning and write. Um, mm-hmm. That was uh, imposed on me by work and, you know, parenthood and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and being married, because uh, right. the morning it's just you, the coffee, and the cat. Right. Yep. And and you can go. Uh, I discovered that even if I didn't think I knew what was going to happen, as long as I sat down. Again, this was after a period of time. Right. As long as I sat down and put my fingers on the keys, the words were there. hmm Uh, but but it was almost it was almost a it was a discipline bordered on religious in the sense of, you know, I kept doing it, um, and 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 then words kept happening, and. Uh, then of course there were the there was the issue of where I, I didn't I introduce a character and give them a name and I think okay sort of a functional character. You know what, what in old plays used to call them the spear carriers. Hey, here I am. Right. I'm just proving this. Well, my spear carriers would start to show up again. And they'd start to have things to say and things to do. Which was really cool. And at a certain right. point I said, Cool, all right, fine. That they, they they have a they have a purpose that's Unknown to me at this time. And um and then like I said, it turned out I couldn't shut up and what was supposed to be one book, then became a second, and then a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth.
0: Uh no, let me ask something. Sure. So on the historical fiction series that you have. Hey. So a lot of people their series they tend to follow a main centralized character. Right. Occasionally they'll do like kind of a spin-off, or they'll have like a, the main character kind of steps to the side and they give focus to another character. What does your, does your historical fiction follow a specific person or group or how does that work? How's the series go? The
1: point of view is actually there's two main points of view. The two main characters, uh, there's Robert Fitzgerald who is an English lieutenant in the first world war. <laughs> and there is uh, Charlotte Branoff, who's a Russian immigrant, who's a volunteer nurse for the British, and they meet less than a mile from the uh, front lines, the, at a uh, casualty clearing station, and um, and it goes from there. And um, I'll alternate sections of the book, you know, forty or fifty pages at a time, from their point of view, what what they're thinking experiencing um and um and then they sort of you know it's how they interweave but then the the following books were pretty much uh like book two and books two and four are completely from charlotte's point of view following her uh because it is a saga that goes across like uh, g's four continents and two decades uh books three and five um I had a lot of fun with those titles. Uh, books three and five are, you know, rock, following Robert, um, and then book six goes back to alternating between their viewpoints. Um, All right. And there's there's some characters who who repeat, but they're part of the story, but they're the story's not told necessarily from their point of view.
0: All right. So it's just two main characters over two decades, yeah. at least right now. And you said four continents. Yeah. So. There's a lot of travel, a lot of interaction, all this stuff there, it sounds like. Now, the one thing I'm kind of really wanting to get into as well, because, like I said, the concept of the Cthulhu with laughs or Lovecraft with laughs, yeah. how did you go from historical fiction to a, I guess, dark comedy or a a comedy horror? I don't even know what genre it would be technically be considered at this point.
1: Well, just uh, as a side note, that's the reason I don't have a writing career is because, <laughs> you know, I can't write the same thing over and over. Right. Um, um, I just can't. I, You know, you'll see that a lot of people say write to market. And, uh, you know, there are people who have 20 books and, and I'm not going to be the guy who has 20 books in the shape shifting sloth harem series. I would, right. I would have to kill myself.
0: Or, that sounds like a weird genre, boy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> hey, the, the dinosaur porn guys make 40, 40 G's a month. So there's probably a, a market for it. Um, but uh, it took me about six years to write this series. A lot of research because um, uh, I didn't want just, just to you know, just just toss it off and make it uh, bad uh, Mary Suing. Um, I, I, and actually, one of the things I've... I found that I do with my novels is I is I sort of set myself a creative challenge um, again because I you know because I I'll, I'll just bore myself and I'm boring myself I'll, I'll bore the reader right um, like so for the by the hands of men the creative challenge was okay well life was very different in the nineteen you know end of the first world war being the jazz age you know we got the the Edwardian the Edwardian old, old world, uh, you know, coming up against the jazz age. But I said, you know, I'm going to write this book as if it had been written contemporaneous with the events of the story, almost as if it was the biography of these two people written, you know, in the 19, in 1919, 1920. So what that did was, uh, you know, that 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 for, that changed my my vocabulary that I could use. It changed syntax. Uh, it, you know, it it forced me to, for instance, to when I was writing about tough subjects, like, like, you know, war or Mm -hmm. sex, um, you know, you could write about those, but you had to, you had to approach it in a certain way. You, you couldn't take the easy way out with, uh, what I think of as the pornography of graphic, uh, gory descriptions, right? right? Same with sex. So what I found it forced me to do, well, so I did all that. But one of the things I ended up doing was I found I was writing a lot of scenes with a hole in the center. You know, I would write around things because I want I wanted people, my goal as a writer is to, to get people really engaged and have that emotional journey, you know? Right. Those are the books I love. They take me sort of on an emotional journey. I care. Uh, I mean, I like somebody, but but if I care... That's the kind of I like. That's the kind of right. So, so it, it made me work harder. It didn't. I didn't have the the easy outs uh, of you know the entrails and gushing blood and all that sort of stuff. In the same thing with sexy. So, it, it wasn't an easy thing to write, but I I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the way it turned out. Um, and so about six months after I finished it, I mean I kind of needed to take a break and take a deep breath. Um, and we'd moved to Texas, which was Texas is awesome. If anybody wants to know. Um, and I was just about feeling like, yeah,
0: I think, uh, yeah,
1: I think it's time to start gearing up. And I mean, I, I've got like, I swear 20 novels in my head right now that, that are just, they're right there just staring at me saying, why are you to this guy? Why aren't you writing me? Um, and I was just like, okay, I, I'm going to pick one that, that calls to me and I'm going to work on. And <clears throat> my high school girlfriend who had been my first love and, you know, my first fan and she's always been my fan, bless her heart. No matter how I many, Miles apart, we were. She's always asking. Well, she died suddenly, just <laughs> out of nowhere, um, and, and, you know, tragically. And to my surprise, that kicked my slats in, man. Um, I was really gutted by that because I thought I'd have, like, 20 more years uh, to send her, you know, here's, uh, here's my novels. Read it. And, uh, let me right. tell you. and uh, so I was dealing with that grief. And, <laughs> and then six months later, my mom died. Oh geez, so, yeah. So for about a year, man, I was worthless, right?
0: Yeah. Um, and when I
1: finally started kind of clawing myself out of that, um, I said, "Man, I can't write anything serious to save my life." And so I had this 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 throw throwaway line in my head one day. Um, I was reading resumes on LinkedIn. For my Mm -hmm. job and at the time the 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 term everybody had to use you know how in in corporate worlds they go through trends and you know so maybe it's the buzzword oh gosh death by buzzword well the buzzword my
0: mom's hr so she's told me all about so i know well enough what you're talking about
1: all right so the buzzword of uh, the year was thought leader
0: everybody
1: was a thought leader Mm-hmm. And I'm going, you can't all be thought leaders. I'm sorry, <laughs> you know. And and I just and I just said to myself, what is a more fatuous buzzword uh, than thought leader? And for some reason, the term the blithering excrescence from beyond the stars leaped into my head. Okay. And and a lot of my writing comes from. I mean, I have these ideas, but a lot of my writing is generated by asking questions. I mean, I hear a story like, like, like the story of, okay, so you're in the trenches, you hear those wounded horses screaming. What are you going to do about it? You know, what would I do? What would you, what would somebody do? Or why wouldn't they do, you know, that, that really just asking a question. How come? Why not? Why, why would some, why the guy stay in the Alamo? Mm -hmm. all that stuff. So those are a lot of my questions. And, so my question for this was, well, well, who would have this title on their resume? And for some reason, I said, well, clearly somebody who works for the Cthulhu organization. And it just <laughs> went from there. Um, it, and, yeah, so it was just sort of this throwaway line. I came up with this, my opening scene. I don't know if you read the opening scene.
0: Oh, uh, um, yeah, I haven't. Okay, it's all well, like I said, you're on my list. Just It's a list I'm trying to work through for a while. Got it, got it. Well,
1: you know, it's just just then it just became sort of the thought since I've, I've worked in corporate America for you know 20 plus years now. Um, you know, you, you you begin to get the idea of any organization's got support people, right? I mean, right. Church, uh, whoever. So it occurred to me: well, if the Cthulhu organization or Cthulhu amalgamated, as they end up calling it, um, has an organization. So who's their support staff? Who's going to be? You know, who who are the guys? Buying the toilet paper and and you know writing the travel vouchers and, and sending out paychecks or whatever they are, and I just I don't know I just went from there, and it became Shuggas who are like the schlubs of the uh, Lovecraftian world, right? So obviously they're doing a lot of the scut work, and I I don't know man I just I just started playing with that and I wrote this opening scene of, uh, of some Shuggas sitting in his office uh, on a bone a chair made of bones drinking a a hot mug of the blood of a thrice damned hanged man. And he gets a call that he doesn't want to take who has it. Right. And Mm -hmm. it just, just started unfolding. And like, for instance, the thing from HR, I hate to say this because it's, it gives away one of the jokes. Well, HR in this case stands for human restraint. Okay. Right.
0: So I don't
1: know. I just, it, it just started opening up to me and, uh, the creative challenge I set to myself on this book, uh, this this book and a series of books was: I am not going to censor myself at all. I've been so serious and so sad. I'm gonna if it is goofy, if it makes me laugh or chuckle or even seems vaguely funny, I'm gonna write it, you know. I'm, and I just did. I just I just wrote it, man.
0: All right. Now, how many books are in that series? Remind me, because. It wasn't, you didn't just stop at the first one, because if I remember correctly, I want to say there's four or something like that, if I'm thinking correctly.
1: Well, it's three published, and I'm working on the fourth now. So, okay. Uh, yeah, the first book was The Thing from HR. Um, and, and by the way, if you're an audiobook audiobook person out there, it's a great audiobook. You should listen to Sample and Audible. I got this English guy. just it, He slays me. He totally got what I was trying to do. Second book is The Auditors of Doom. Uh, and the third book is called the break room of a thousand nightmares. Um, because, you know, if you haven't been in corporate, the corporate world, you recognize it is kind of a hell in yeah. some ways. but, uh, yeah. The, uh, and they're all sort of standalone. They help you, you know, reading the previous books, help you get the relationships, but it isn't like, you know, Lord of the Rings at the end, like they're going to throw HP Lovecraft into Mount Doom or something. It's, it's, um uh, uh they're sort of in the same world but it just helps you get context
0: all right makes sense so what do you you said you're writing the fourth book for that series now Mm -hmm. what is the theory behind it? because one you've already given people an insight that if they're going through it and me personally i love audiobooks so i'll probably find you on audiobook and give one of those but
1: hit me up man i I get i got a code for you all i'm asking for is a review
0: oh trust me like i told you i'm doing reviews now so when i do a review it's it's going up and i think i get oh crimey one review's already had 200 views on youtube and a thousand or so downloads so the reviews are doing pretty well now now with that being said, what what is expected on the fourth book of this series? Because we have we have the HR. We have auditors, which makes me laugh because my wife's in accounting. <laughs> we have oh. the break room and I, I'm picturing a break room that I used at a company I used to work at where it was always the most awkward of conversations you had with people like, I just want to get my coffee and get back to my desk and leave me alone. Yeah. So, what uh, what's coming in the fourth one?
1: I'm I, I'm I'm kicking around different titles, but I want to say it is right now the working title. I got to pull this up, and this is weird. You should think I've done. Oh, there we go. The supply closet of eternal terror.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. So, with that, are you real? How much of um. Lovecraft are you pulling in or I guess I should ask this as well did you actually read Lovecraft or did you just do some research because I've heard of some people that just like the theory of Lovecraft but don't really know much about them. No
1: I read read Lovecraft right after high school and I remember reading The Call of Cthulhu Mm -hmm. uh, which and I remember reading it going okay this is messed up special, but right. but messed up. Right. And, um, you know, I mean, it, it, it did take a special kind of lunacy to come up with it. So yeah, I've read, <laughs> I've read Lovecraft and I, you know, I've read some of the other guys. Uh, I've not read them in a while. Um, and so for the first book, when I first started, um, you know, I read Cthulhu. And so I was, I was, Making jokes about that, like they call him the Big C, you know, <laughs> uh, Cthulhu, Cog, Cog, there's Cognacetti, and I, I some some of the words I wrote I can't pronounce, the Cthulhu cassetti or something, you know, uh, the cool kids. <laughs> right. Um, but I realized at a certain point, you know, people were pulling most of these names out of their ass anyway. Um, right. So I said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Lovecraft for two reasons. One. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's in public domain, right? Uh, and be, because I didn't want to, and too, because I didn't want to, like, uh, swipe somebody's creative work uh, right. of creating, you know, I mean, a lot of people landed in there and done their work and, and come up with some pretty impressive stuff. So uh, I would end up creating my own unpronounceable consonant names um, and then just trying to give them sort of uh, offbeat titles like the blithering excrescents from beyond the stars um then there's uh let's see the dominatrix of you know the outer reaches and um you know the, the hounds of this and uh the mailmen of kismet who apparently are very 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 scary so so and it ends up mostly certainly having that uh that cthulhu paradigm of the outer gods the older gods and the elder things and the the near elder things and all that but uh I, I ended up mostly doing it creating stuff of my own
0: all right so with that you have the cthulhu series going you have the historical series mm. are, you, are you expanding on the historical or do you have anything else coming out or any you said because, like you said, you have 20 different books in your head. Literally, I know my um, the software I use for my writing, it allows you to list every project. I think yeah. I have 20, not 20, I have 10, I think 10, because I cleared it off the other day of ones that just, I don't even remember what I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I didn't even start writing. I can't think of what that is. What other projects are you looking at going into or have you started?
1: Uh, first, what software do you use for writing?
0: I use a program called Bisco, or it's B I S I B C O, I think it is. And I I mispronounce more things than I can count it in my lifetime at this point. Do me a favor, send me a link.
1: I'd like to look at that. I use Word. Yeah, they,
0: yeah, it's a great program. I personally love it because it's simple. It allows you to organize, and they have a free version and a paid version. In the paid version, the paid version allows you to go and make series and all this. Okay. So yeah, I'll, what I'll do is I'll send you the link for it, so you have that. And in case anyone else is interested, I'll put it in the show notes as well. Great. But one thing is, is that um, with that, like I said, I cleaned out a lot of my projects. I have, I know I'm working on a memoir. I'm working on a food service book. I'm working on a an angel and a demon at a bar. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I I have a slew of theor- different ranges I'm looking at. Okay. So, and then of course I have my crime crime organized crime thrillers as well. Right. But what so like you said you have historical fiction, mm-hmm. you have your Cthulhu which sounds entertaining as can be so what what else do you have or are you going to stick with those two right now
1: um well you know it's a funny thing um uh and you, you probably know this already and if folks are out there who are not self-published uh which is not that hard
0: um, right doing it well is
1: hard but still yes uh, one of the cool things about being self-published is hearing from readers right Sounds mm-hmm. you right yep. uh, it is it is such a treat to get an email from somebody um, saying how much they like the book. And, you know, I mean, I've got letters from really interesting people in New Zealand and Australia, you know, a guy who was in the uh, the uh, Dutch Indies militia during World War II, uh, a woman who, who worked for Dudley Moore and Peter Cook in the swinging 60s in London. And I'm nice. telling her, write this stuff down. But um, <laughs> yeah. But I've had, like, people really like the By the Hands of Men series um, and people are asked, have been asked me, when are you gonna write book seven? And I, I sort of, I have a, I feel like an ethical obligation. If if people have invested in this this the series like they have, like I really need to finish that. So right. well, it's finished, but I, I still have more stories I could tell. So I'm thinking about book seven of that. Uh, my publisher asked me to write book four of Cthulhu Amalgamated and since I have an idea, which I like, I'm going to do it, uh, and that's the other thing is if I don't really have an idea, I'm just I'm just not going to grind something out, you know. If I right. if I'm not uh, engaged or passionate about the story, ultimately I'm, I'm just not going to do it. But uh, there's those. Uh, I'm, I'm about a third way through with Cthulhu. I you know, i made the storeroom, uh, but after that, I mean, I've got a series idea. Geez, I've got I've got a novel about um a uh, <laughs> a merchant seaman who comes home to find out that his wife is dead and nobody told him and uh, then he goes hunting for the female vampire who killed her. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Uh you know I've got like a, at least let's see I've got I've got a kind of a cozy mystery series set at a uh a private airport in East Texas. Uh, that's about five books. I've got another one about uh uh, paranormal one—that's um, that could be three books or more. Uh, I've got a standalone kind of a um, horror novel set in 1969 in upstate New York in the Kipsy area. If you have ever been up there, it's uh, it's uh, it's got weird ravines and cliffs, so it's kind of a a, a spooky thing. Let's see—I had another series that just appeared to me, came to me about a month ago. Um and also sort of paranormal. So yeah.
0: So you have a list. I mean it sounds like yeah. you
1: have
0: a so yeah. it sounds like there's still a whole lot more coming from you on that front.
1: Oh yeah, and then and that's to say nothing of like um I've got this play I want to write um about the making of the film Casablanca. I uh the author of this great book if you like movies, it's a great book about the making of Casablanca called something like, uh, it's had a couple of titles, but the first one was Round Up the Usual Suspects. Right. It was retitled, you know, The Making of Casablanca. The author's name is Al Jean Harmitz. She was a New York Times reporter uh, who was covering the film industry in New York, uh, excuse me, in Los Angeles. She's about 92 now. Um, and I was uh, trying to get the rights from her to write a play about it because it's such a great book and the story of how they made this movie. I mean, this was like, they made they they made this American myth, you know, and that right. was done. So I'd like to do that. I got screenplays I want to write. So, yeah, man, I got all kinds
0: of stuff. <laughs> well, you sound like you're keeping yourself quite busy. So let me do this. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I believe you also had something that you had coming up you had to get to. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to end the recording for everybody else. I appreciate you being here. I'd like people to know that you have a profile on authorblurb.com. There's a link to it in the show notes as well. Where do you prefer people to go find you if they want to reach out to you, if they want to find your books, if they have questions, what so have you?
1: Uh, I have a website. Um, it's I uh, Love to talk to people there. That's always fun. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at uh, story, mgriffs-storyteller. storyteller. Um, yeah, you know, I'm on Twitter, and I mean, I have an account on Twitter, and right. Instagram. don't do a lot with those. But uh, I'd say Facebook and my website are two ways you can, and definitely you can reach me on my website. My email address is all over, and my books are available on Amazon and uh, Kobo and Barnes and Noble, and uh, the audio book for the thing from HR is uh, available in a lot of places. But you know, it's all also on Amazon and Audible dot
0: com sounds perfect well griff i appreciate you being here again it's been fun talking with you i'm telling you when your fourth book comes out for the cthulhu corporation or an amalgam i can never say that word
1: amalgamated i can't spell it you know,
0: i always get it wrong yeah. <laughs> oh i'm not even gonna try to <laughs> so i appreciate you being here when that comes out reach out to me. I'd love to have you back on to talk about it a bit more. Hopefully by that time I've gone through your, your other books and got to get a more better insight. But with that being said, I'm going to have everyone hold, I'm going to have you hold on. Yeah.
1: One thing. I think we should flip this sometime and let me interview you. Cause I'm curious about you. I'm looking at all this stuff on your shelves. I want to know about those. I want to know about your crime thrillers. So Let's flip this sometime. We'll interview you for the people who follow this, co- this podcast.
0: Sounds good. We'll set that up. Okay. Who knows? Maybe as soon as I get one of my next books out, we'll schedule a time to have you on and you and I will talk about it. I'd like that, man. Sounds perfect. So I'm going to have you hold on. But for everybody else, you now know, you're going to be seeing Griff come back to talk to me again about either his book, my book. Who knows? Yeah. Other than that, appreciate you and hold on for just a second
1: okay thanks uh watchers
0: listeners (laughs) you can go to authorblurb.com where there's plenty of stuff there for you to find enjoy another author enjoy finding that book that you love so take the time do me a favor share subscribe enjoy the show and tell others thank you